When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Yes, it's Thursday. I hope the sun is shining where you are in these lovely summer months. Um, Very exciting because, you know, we're slowly getting back to it. And I'm very pleased to say that this week's guest came to my house. We sat opposite each other. We stared into each other's eyes and we had an absolute cracker of a conversation. I've really missed it. Producer Griff was here as well. We set up the mics. It was like old times and it's lovely to get back to it. Hopefully we'll be doing a lot more of these. Um, So uh, this week I am with Elliot Eastwick and we start off talking about how we go from the Hacienda to where we are now, which is making hot sauce. That is the overall question. And my God, do we get into it? It's really inspiring. And also, you know, when you're pushed into a corner, you kind of got to come out fighting. You've got to come up with some ideas. And that's what he did. Uh, and we go everywhere. We talk about all sorts, flying around the world, DJing, music labels, dr- getting dropped, dropping this, picking things up. And... We end with uh, certainly a, a two-shot first. We uh, we have a tasting session and we even pulled up a chair and producer Griff came and was the third member of the taste test. Look, enjoy. This is an absolute cracker of a conversation. This is the Two Shot Podcast with Elliot Eastwick. Enjoy and I shall see you at the end. Elliot, I mean, where do we go? How did we get from the Hacienda to hot sauce is, is the overall broad question. But yeah. I think what we, we should do really is, is, is go right back okay. to, to, to where we grew up first. Oh Christ. 
Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, now you're like, why have, si- why, why have I signed up for this? I thought I was just going to do some advertising. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, fucking, oh, great, Craig's been in touch. Craig's been in touch. I'm going to peddle my wares on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even going to get a look in, is it? <laughs> no, it is. We're going to get to that because we're going to do a, a podcast first. We're going to have a, a, a taste test, aren't we? Which I'm, oh, that's ve- right, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I suppose, where are we? Where did we grow up? Uh, I grew up in Poynton. Right, I, is, uh, I was, I was, I was there last Friday oh, shoot, okay. shooting a music video. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it must be a very middle class band if they're recording in, <laughs> in Poynton. It was at the Civic Hall. Poynton's, oh, I think they got it for free. I used to go break dancing at Civic Hall. Did you? Yeah, because they had a slippy floor, so I didn't have to. Because we we um, we didn't have room in the shed for my lino, so we, we used to go to the Civic Hall and they'd let us in because they didn't want us on the street. Mm. making it sound like the Bronx here, aren't I? Pointing. <laughs> <laughs> so we used to go in the Civic Hall. We were called Street Scene. Are you actually, you were a, a crew? crew? Yeah. I see, I was too nervous. I just had to practice in, in the back room. And right. my dad got me a, a, like a piece of liner that I just furiously polished with yeah. Mr Sheen. And I'd put my, my night jacket on <laughs> and just try There's and... about six months in, in 1980, whatever it was, that where, where every... Every eleven-year-old boy was doing that. Anyway, so I grew up in Poynton, breakdancing <laughs> outside the shops. Um, we're in in a, in the most normal, the, the most normal normal uh, yeah, household but, you can imagine. But yeah, what is yeah, two up, two down? Yeah, house on the main road. Um, four of us: me, and my brother, mum and dad. Dad worked at the airport. Uh, Waving those bats, you know, when they wave the planes, and yeah. do that anymore. But he, he was the bat, the Batman. Um, Always reminds me of Dad too. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> very strong image with the snow. <laughs> but he used to, he used to. Sometimes he got to drive the van where where the like the private flights would come in. Mm. So we had an autograph book, and um, we had like Sophia Loren in there, Shaking Steve, a bit of a jump there, Shaking Stevens, Duran Duran. I remember all that. So I remember thinking, my dad was a bit of a slab because he. he He'd met these people for two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Hated school. Was terrible at school. Was was what you would now call, uh, well, naughty. You know, a naughty kid. Gobby or naughty naughty. Gobby, naughty naughty. Sometimes, constantly, constantly grounded. Just, I just wanted to get out. I wanted to get out and do my own thing, and I couldn't. And so it was. It was. Yeah. It. It was. It, that. That. I just ended up being naughty because that was and also you know i was an attention seeker as well for whatever reason um were you aware at such a young age what that thing was that you wanted to get out of school to do at that point no but it just wasn't it, it, it wasn't that wasn't that environment well when i was at school it was acting because it was the that was the only thing that i was good at so i went off and did lots of theater groups when i was a kid what extracurricular? Not yeah, school. yeah. So that kept me out of trouble. I did Mid Cheshire Theatre. We did a trip to Italy. I remember doing Romeo and Juliet, like a Commedia dell'arte version of Romeo and Juliet, which I loved. Um, so that was an outlet. That was an outlet that I found and thought, oh, okay, this is all right. These people are all right. You know, yeah. they're sort of similar people, quite like-minded. Yeah. Um, and then I, th- I sort of thought about drama school. Did a few other... So I went to drama college, that was it, and at th- that point came across quite a lot of, I know, let's do fame! Right. Type of uh, the actors, which I'm sure you're I'll, familiar I'll, with. I've come across them <laughs> in my time. <laughs> yeah. 
and it put me right off. Yeah. Put me right off. So you, I can't, did a, you can't knock their enthusiasm. No, you can't. But if it invades <laughs> and destroys yours, yeah, you need to have a talk. Yeah, and it, you couldn't even sort of stare into your phone then and ignore people. Sadly, mm. it's a great thing that. Um, so I did a bit of that. Did a bit of I had a few acting jobs on the back end of school. Cracker. Uh, was a skinhead in Cracker, you know, the Robert Carlyle yeah. Hillsborough one, yeah. yeah. Of course. So I was one of the Nazi, Nazi skinheads in that. Yeah, it's such a great... It, it, that, that, the, the Hillsborough one of that is, yeah. is knockout. It's and so ter- good. terrifying. Yeah, I remember him on the bus, just slowly yeah. unravelling. And then and it, he had that thing with the matches, with like a cribbage board, and he was mm. putting the burnt matches in it. It was just, it was so, so good. I but haven't I, gone back and revisited it for a no, long time, I'm wondering now if it still stands up. I bet it is. Yeah. Because I can still see Robert Carlyle doing that. L-I-V, E-R-V. Oh, my God. You just, I mean, you know, you think about sort of powerhouse performances and yeah. that one just really stands the test of time, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And also because that story, you know, is is still in the news now. Yeah. It shouldn't be. No, it shouldn't. And it was still so raw then, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So and I so so that was one of the and, and then just bits and bobs and bits and bobs. And this was when I was kind of sixteen. Left school, no qualifications at sixteen. Some was a, a drug dealer at the Hacienda. It was a was a e dealer, hmm. and so we used to get in. I used to get in when I was sixteen. I looked older, um, and so. Yeah, it had that had this otherworldly thing about it because it was 1989. It was all happening there. Um, I basically just went once and then was like, because I knew about factory stuff, you know, I knew about New Order and you can't grow up in Manchester. Even now as a kid, you don't grow up in Manchester not knowing about those things. No, exactly. But that happened as I grew up, you know. Um, and so... Yeah, it was kind of, it had that mystique that, that it still has now retrospectively. Yeah. Um, at the time, it had that mystique because that's what they created. That was their product, really. That's what Tony Wilson was so good at doing. Um, and so I noticed they shut down in 1990, it closed because of drug problems. Um, just to appease the police, I think Tony closed it for about six months because it was really getting on top with, uh, Salford at the time. No, Cheatham Hill at the time. Right. It all gets very complicated but and horrible. Not worth talking about. But. So it shut for a bit and then I saw an advert uh, in Dry Bar saying we need staff. And I was 16, just turning 17 mm. at the time. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll give him a ring. Just, so, just, just to be on the, like, on, the bar, on the bar, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's collecting empty glasses. Right, okay. Yeah. I'm really um, starting at the bottom. Yeah, oh, yeah, God, yeah. 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 So I was like, mm. so I rang Angela Matthews, who was the manager at the time, and it, she was like, hey, oh, little, 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 yeah, yeah, we'd just be doing this. Is the hourly rate, £2.70 or whatever it was, yeah. I just wanted to get in there. I wasn't, I would have I would have gone for free. Okay, cool. Oh, oh, you are 18, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely 18. <laughs> so I turned up for the interview, and I remember thinking before I went, right, I need to sort of act like an 18-year-old. <laughs> 
<laughs> when you're 16, yeah. you know, and I was like, well, I'm already mentally feel older anyway. So yeah. anyway, she didn't, they didn't want any proof or anything like that. So away we went. It's a bit like that feeling when you go, right, who's going to go into this off license? And yeah. No, you look the oldest, you're going to go and get the Thunderbird on a Friday night. You go and get it. We'll it was, definitely serve you yeah. in here. It was a bit like that. And then, so I just started. And anyway, they'd never asked for an age or anything like that. So, um, so I started working there and I was just collecting glasses on club nights, basically. But I was in, it, I was surrounded by it all, mm. you know. And weirdly, or interestingly or not, I didn't, I wasn't interested in drugs at all. Not even remotely bothered. Everybody else was, obviously. Well, because they were all around you at the time, yeah. especially in that environment. But I was never really, I just, would take it or leave it. You yeah. know? There, there was enough excitement for me there without having to dive into that. Um, and then some, some, uh, hours came up during the day, working in an empty nightclub, cleaning it, changing the barrels, doing all that. I'm in, I'll do it. So I was just there all the time, you know, and then it became a social sort of place where you get to know other people. And then on the corner of, on the corners of that picture are people that I recognize from growing up, are Peter Hook, are Martin Mosscrop, are... Tony, uh, you know, whoever. Yeah. You're sort of seeing those people around. And I've never been one to sort of idolise people. I'm more of a sort of, how did they do that? How did they How did they do that? Mm. If I get to know them a bit, I might figure out how they did that, you know? <laughs> so it was a bit, there was a bit of that going on, but the romance of it was still there. Anyway, long story short, Graham, no, was it Graham or Mike? It was either Mike Pickering or Graham Park. No, actually, it was Tom Wainwright, who was the warm-up DJ for Graham, gave me the code for the sound system because it had a lock on it right. in the DJ booth, 6478, whatever, you know. And he told me what it was. So when I was on my lunch break, I'd, so I'd bring the records into work, you know, in a little carrier bag. And when I was on my lunch break, I'd go up in that booth and I'd switch the monitors on in the booth, sometimes the whole PA. And the cleaners were in those. Remember, they had a team of cleaners who were Australian, weirdly. About 12 of them who used to clean the club. So I'm up there... DJing, you know, and they're, if, it, if it's coming out good, they're sort of pointing at me going, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I couldn't mix. I didn't have turntables at home, couldn't afford them. Um, so I sort of had to teach myself. And weirdly, because back then there's no YouTube or anything like that, so you can't watch somebody DJ. Yeah. And because of the Hacienda with the booth was high up, so I could, at no point could I ever see what Graham or Mike were doing. Were doing. Yeah. I couldn't see it. No. All I could do is hear it. So when I'm trying to do it myself, I'm just thinking, this doesn't sound <laughs> <laughs> This doesn't sound like that. You know, the key, what's a key? The keys aren't right. You know, suddenly something sounds awful. Uh, how do you make it go faster? How do you make it go slower? So I just taught myself in there. And then once I'd done a tape that I thought was all right, I gave it to Paul Cons. No, I tell you what, I deliberately made a tape it was in the style of the music that Paul Cons would like. Paul Cons was the guy who booked everybody. Right. And I knew what kind of music Paul liked. So I thought, I'll make this tape kind of Paul music, you know. I knew he liked disco. I knew he liked some electro-y sort of stuff. So I was playing disco and electro with a bit of house. Gave it to him. Now, bear in mind at this point, every single person that worked in that club was fucking giving Paul Cons cassettes. <laughs> yeah. Or a mate's cassette or, yeah. you know... Um, so the next step was how to get him to listen to it. Yeah. With all the other... Because tapes. you just think, well, that's just going in a shoebox in his house, you know. Yeah. 
fortunately, I was at the club all the time. So, and, and I, I would catch him as he was leaving work or coming into work or whatever, when there's nobody else bothering him. So not on a club night or whatever, mm. when he's distracted and just say, oh, Paul, you didn't get a chance to listen to that. <laughs> it must have been awful. And uh, anyway, he did, he liked it and he put me on in, in, the, in the gay traitor, which was the downstairs bar. I was shitting myself. I was going to say, how nerve-wracking was that? Because you've just been playing and learning in front of Australian cleaners for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and now you've got house full. And it's people, you know. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and also it's people that I recognised that were sort of heads, you know, maybe not in bands or whatever, but just sort of people from clothes shops and, you know, that are sort of, okay, these are sort of the, the movers and shakers, mm. you know. Um, and I remember I sat down to DJ because I was so nervous I couldn't stand up, so I got a chair so I could sit. <laughs> I sat on a little bench with the things because I just thought, oh, I can't stand up, my legs are going. Wow. Um, so I did that, and that was all right. People didn't really dance down there, so I didn't really get a feel for it. It was just kind of like playing background music, really. Uh, and then Dave Haslam, um, <clears throat> I think Dave Haslam heard me play, and he was setting up, because I was playing disco, and nobody else played disco then. It's quite fashionable disco now. But... Yeah. In the early 90s, it wasn't at all. And I was playing sort of underground, kind of Larry LeVan-style disco sort of stuff. And Dave was starting a night at the boardwalk called Yellow, and he, he just tapped me up. I remember going to... I remember because he was the first person who knew I had a mobile phone. Well, Dave was. Yeah. And I went to meet him at the corner house, and um, and Dave had a mobile phone. I remember that. I remember thinking, fucking hell, he's doing all right. He's got, a, he's got a mobile phone. It was massive. And yeah. I think, and I think the battery, he had the battery in a, in a rucksack. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and I remember with those old mobile, mobiles, it used to cost you to receive a call. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. I mean, I don't answer my fucking phone now when it rings. Anyway, anyway, I just, anyway yeah. I just look at it and I'm like, oh, God, who's that? Why do they want to talk? And uh, <laughs> But if it cost me a quid, I'm definitely not answering it. You sound like producer Griff. He never answers the phone. <laughs> yeah, no. no, yeah, he's talking on the phone. I d- yeah, I mean, I could talk for England. Yeah, I worked in radio. I could talk yeah, for yeah. England, but... There's just something about a phone call that just feels so dead. I yeah. can't, I, I'm all here for the WhatsApp messages. Yes. Receiving the voice messages, and that's fine. That's what I do with uh, Pete, my mate Pete Fowler, is the designer mm. of the things I'm working on now. We're just sending each other silly little voice messages backwards and forwards, and it just feels like, oh, this is much better. Yeah, that's the way forward, isn't it? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I'm here for it. Um, so, yeah, then I, then I started doing Friday nights at the boardwalk with Dave. And that was packed. That was people dancing. That yeah, was really people say. dancing. It was so good. Did you start to loosen up and gain more confidence? Yeah. Quite, yeah. quite quickly. Really quickly. Yeah. Um, and I'd look forward to it because I still didn't have decks at home. So I still couldn't practice mm. what I loved to do unless I was working, which is bizarre. The other way around now, obviously. Yeah. Most, uh, bedroom DJs didn't massively exist then. You were, you were either working DJ or you weren't a DJ, you know. So... Um, I got my turntable. The most nefarious possible circumstances led to me getting my turntable. Go on. Which was the Hacienda Dorman at the time. I won't even say which bit of the city they were from, just in case. But yeah. they'd held up a Technics lorry. I feel so bad. I've, I mean, I'm paying for this. They held up a, a Technics lorry on the motorway. Yeah. Or services it had pulled in. And they'd seen, I hope Technics, that's like the good stuff, isn't it? We'll have it. We'll have it. So they held them up. I don't know whether what they used to hold up the van, but leave that to 
anybody's imagination, but... They got the goods. All of a sudden, a lot of turntables turned up at the Hacienda and they were selling them for 120 quid a pop. Bear in mind, these are 700 pounds now. Uh, I remember... No, I won't. I was going to say, I remember... (laughs) Buying a load, I'm like, no, no, no. I I remember them buying about six and I was like, fucking hell, struggling to get two. Um... So I bought two of those tainted turntables, which oh, I don't have anymore. No. Um, <laughs> You've washed the same way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I felt so bad, but not bad enough to not to buy them. Um, so, and that's when it really started to fly because I could then practice at home. I could then really start to drill down into what kind of music I liked, what kind of house music I liked, what kind of house music I was good at playing. And then the next, and then it all went into fast forward. Then it was like, I'd met a lot of like-minded people at the Hacienda. We'd put our own nights on at various clubs around town. We started a night called Hard Times over in Leeds, which was a big night, successful, lots of American DJs coming over. You know, I had a meeting in a pub, decided that we were going to start making music. Didn't know the first thing about it. Got a producer in, learned how to do stuff. This is all in the space of a year, really. God, that really is fast forward, isn't it? It was, yeah. It was wow. bonkers. But, but there was like, there was five of us, I think, in total. And we've, you know, one was good at f- making film stuff. One was technically, you know, audio minded. One was very businessy. One was, so it was. All bases it, it was, covered. Wah, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. this juggernaut is just going. It was so, looking back on it, it was ace. But at the time, you just, you were just part of it. It was fun, you know. Um, so we started making music. And um, we got signed to a really good label, an American label called Tribal, who were doing a lot of big house stuff at the time, sort of Danny Tanaglia and people like that, those big American DJs yeah. there. And we got signed to that, which was a big deal. Wow. So, wow, we got signed to the cool American label. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, it was a bit of a damp squib, really, because just notice I said squib there, not squid. There you go. All right, thanks for that. <laughs> I'd be pulling myself up if I was listening yeah, to cool. it. I said squid. Um, so, yeah. So we, and at that point we were like, oh, we're not really, we haven't really made any money here. Or so then we were like, well, we'll just set our own label up. That's easy, isn't it? They, they that lot did it. Factory didn't. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. You know how that turned out. Brilliant people to take <laughs> inspiration from when it comes to starting a business. Well, fact, we even hired their fucking accountant. No. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking, oh, we should get... Who did the accounts for the asset? Yeah, get them. <laughs> <laughs> so we started doing this record label. We all, I remember we all put £500 in so we could buy a fax machine and a tiny little office, you know, and we started this label called Paper Recordings, which start, uh, and on our second single we put out on our own label did really well. Did it? Yeah, and we were like... Obviously, you'd left, you'd left tribal. Yeah. Yeah. So we were just doing it our own thing. It was all in-house now, everything. We had the office, the stu- recording studio was next door to the office. We had it going on, you know, it was, the, it was all happening. Uh, and it's, I think the first single sold about 20,000 vinyl, which was ace because we were the, both the label owners and the artists. So it was all coming back to you. All of it's coming back to yeah. us. So we're putting money back into the business. It was a bit like, at one point, I remember somebody saying, this is like taking money out of one pocket and putting it back in the other. You know? Yeah. Was, yeah. But we were like, oh, this is great. But we didn't, nobody took any money out. It was like, everything stays in the label. Nobody, you know, nobody. I think, I think one of us bought a Vespa 
And we were like, all right, you can have a Vespa because you work harder than everybody else. <laughs> so Pete, it was. Pete got his Vespa. And um, so that went on for about maybe eight years or something. Right. Was it, was it progressing? It was progressing. Years? Yeah, yeah. We had a band called Crazy P, um, who were originally called Crazy Penis. Um, no, originally they were called Loco Pingo, which is Crazy Penis. Right. And I said, oh, don't piss about with that. Just call yourselves Crazy Penis. But then they started doing really well. So now, <laughs> so now what do you do? And I remember we, we, there was a real turning point with the label where it was like, we can send them on tour with, it was either Basement Jacks or, uh, oh, we turned Basement Jacks down, by the way. In, in what respect? They sent us a demo and we were like, nah, that's not, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> what, so they, for them to come on board? I, with paper, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I remember saying, it's too messy sounding, it's too messy sounding. I'm like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> So they were going on tour, the Crazy P were going to go on tour with either, it was either Basement Jacks or who did that? Oh, um. To, what are they called them oh, to? One of them is dead too. Um, Groove Armada. Groove Armada, yes, go. good. Um, Crazy P were going to go on tour with Groove Armada, but it costs you money to send a band on tour as a support act. The label have to pay for it. They have to pay for what? For all their travel? Everything. Everything. Yeah. In the hope that you'll get... That money back so, through so how, sales. How do you get the money back through what? Sales, a ticket and merch? I guess or, merch or, right. you know, you, you would get a small percentage of... T- very small percentage of ticket. But it would it would be for the kudos, really. Um, and that's why when you when you look at support acts on a lot of bills, the band that are supporting are already signed, usually to a major, because they'll be like, well, we'll take a punt on that. We'll send them out with whoever it might be, you know. I suppose it's good advertising yeah. for to get their singles and albums heard and played and bought totally. I suppose yeah yeah and it, and it, and it makes you it, it, it's a it's a step you know it's a jump that people make and I remember us thinking we either make this jump i think the label had started losing money or not making as much singles weren't as good we'd fallen out of it interest with it a little bit uh, uh we being Salt City Orchestra, which was me, Miles and Simon, uh, I'd stopped making music for it and started making music for other people again and doing remixes for Underworld and whoever it was. And because that's money, that's three grand a pop. Yeah. You know, two days in the studio, that's three grand. I can go pay the bills, that's ace. Yeah. So the quality started going downhill a little bit. And anyway, I remember reaching this point where it's like, right, we either send this lot on tour with Groove Armada or we put that money into the label to save it. It was about 10 or 20 grand, I think. Uh, and we put it back into the label to try and save it, and it just fucking dive bombed. Oh, so we were like, man. Oh, that was... So that was, it was something we all just kind of walked away from. We're like, oh. it, was a, it was a cooperative business. It was run as a cooperative. Yeah. So. Um, so that was... So we kind of walked away from that, and then... Did that affect, affect your sort of personal friendship with yeah, everybody it did a bit. as well? Yeah, which kind of sucks, because... But it's, yeah. it's part of it that it's so hard when you're... <laughs> You're working, you're going to business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personal friends. I mean, I still, there was, a, there was a, a 50th a while ago, you know, and a lot of us were at that. And that was kind of nice because we all got to see each other and we were kind of, there were a number of years where they restarted the label, basically. Two of them restarted the label, or one of them really. Um, and I wasn't happy about it at all because they hadn't come to me with, they hadn't asked me or anything like that. It was just, they would just restarted it. And I was a bit like, and the music wasn't as good. And I was a bit like, wow, just leave it where it is. Yeah. And go do the next thing. You know, that's, that's what. Or at least rename it. 
Yeah. So otherwise so, it's going to have ramifications on past recordings. Yeah, there was a little bit of that, that. Yeah, that soured it a little bit. But anyway, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. Time moves on. And uh, so and at that time, I my as a DJ, I'd started to pick up, uh, because my records were being sold worldwide, I'd started to pick up bookings all around the world. And so that was a kind of a crazy time because I'd be in... I mean, I travelled the world doing it, you know. I didn't see any of it because I'd yeah. turn up... Dark nightclubs, thing of, yeah. You know, you turn up, the guy picks you up from the airport, you're in Portugal or whatever, he takes you to the hotel. Do you want to have a sleep? Of course I fucking do. I go to sleep, alarm goes off, you know, an hour before the gig, go to the gig, go back, sleep. He turns up in the morning, gives me money, I go and get on a plane. Away you go. Yeah. yeah. So I remember going to, like, Iceland and South Africa and Ukraine, Russia the States, doing tours there, Australia, New Zealand, everywhere, everywhere. And and now I think, yeah. but I had little kids at the time, you see. Right. My now older adult children were little kids. So I was like, well, I can't swan off to South Africa and, you know, do two gigs but stay for two weeks because I like the look of the place. No, not you could go there, <laughs> earn the money and get out. And come back, yeah. yeah. So it was and a bit like that. At that time, had technology obviously moved on? Were you Or were you slugging around records yeah it was still records was yeah it? it was still vinyl um so did you have and forgive my ignorance because i've never detailed i don't know anything about it so were you did you have like a set and you knew what you were going to play no. or did, just did it change because of the environment that you it were would in? change because like, the environment that you were in so you would take probably 200 records to a gig and you'd probably play 30 of them some clubs if you'd played before you would know what they like. Like, if I'm going to Cork, I know the exact kind of sound that they like over there. If I'm playing in Moscow, I know the exact, you know, they're more that way or that yeah. way or whatever. So I can tailor it a little bit, but you're still lugging those. I remember, you know, like a, tr- a flip-up trolley, like an old Biddy trolley, and you'd stack the record boxes on there and then put them bungees around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kept me fit. Definitely kept me fit. Uh, but, yeah, that was, we were still... So that's that's like 1996, 97, 98, 99, right. 2000, 2000. Until about 2004, I think, when I just thought, I'm missing loads of other stuff here because I'm just slogging about. And I wasn't at that level like Carl Cox or somebody like that where you're making a lot of money. I mean, stupid amounts of money. And you're getting to kind of say, or you've got an agent that'll say, oh, he's only doing an hour at that. And if you want him for an hour, it's 10 grand. And if you yeah. don't want him, then you don't book him. That's yeah. all right. That's cool. That's But that's how much he costs and that's fine. Wasn't at that point. I was like 600, 700 quid a gig, which is still decent money. Of course. When you, if I can get three gigs a week, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday or whatever, that's good. Um, but I don't know what happened really. I think I just sort of fell out of love with it a little bit or it, it naturally... Were you feeling unfulfilled? Or because, you yeah. know, you, did you feel that you were going to there was going to be a progression with the DJ and or did you feel you were kind of stagnant at that sort of level? Uh, that, yeah. I just thought I'm not, I'm not going forwards nor backwards here, particularly. <clears throat> I've got my niche where, I, where, where the reason that people book me for what I, the kind of music that I play, but that's never going to, I'm not going to change. I think the differences with some of those people, you know, like David Guetta or whoever is that they're quite happy just to kind of go, I'll just shift it that way a little bit. All right, more people like this, so I'll shift it that way a little bit. More people, and before you know it, 
you're making them daft videos where you stood on top of a fucking building in Dubai, yeah. DJing to nobody yeah. while a drone flies around your head. Just you know. popped in a USB stick with it, and it's all there. You just press the button uh, and then off just, you go. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and they go just crazy. Throw for cakes it. at people or they whatever. Love it that in Rio. <laughs> so there's no way I wanted to do that because no. because where we'd come from was we were fiercely independent. We got an, offered an album deal, I think, from London Records for 20 grand when we were doing Soul City Orchestra. No chance. You know, we were that, not doing it, not yeah. doing it, not doing we it. Saying no to that, saying no to that, saying, yeah, totally, yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah. And even licensing for adverts and think, nah, not doing it, not doing that, not doing that, not doing that. Got in the way of making a decent living out of it, but we were, and, and I suppose in some ways, fairly pretentious. Well, definitely quite pretentious. It was part, but also it was part of our shtick. It was part, and we'd learned that from Factory, from New Order, from, you know, it was like, keep keep some of it a mystery. Yeah. Because if you give it, and you must have, as an actor, the same sort of thing, is that you don't give it all out because yeah. then nobody wants any more from you. Oh, God, I've been... You've got to hold loads of yeah. it back. <laughs> I've been so pretentious and stubborn back in the day when I was young. It's like, I'm sticking, I'm standing up for this because this is what I believe. And you go, oh, wait a minute, just... Step up, shut up, step down yeah. and learn when to fight the battles yeah. that need fighting. Yes. Because just because you feel injustice is everywhere yeah. and you need to stand up for your originality and your artistry. Yeah. Like, oh, shut up. There's a fine line between, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, that, so, there's, so there, was, there was a lot of that that went on with us. But the, I guess as I got older and I had kids and stuff like that and then... I started a band, I remember. So I was really moving away from house music. Started a band that were kind of, we were pretty terrible, I think. Was that when house music was sort of heading out anyway? Yeah, a little bit. So that's like 2000 and summer. Mm. So we'd, we started a band called Fat Man and Bobby, which was, um, which apparently was what the bit, what uh, John and Paul used to call each other in the Beatles. Really? Fat Man and Bobby, yeah. I, didn't... I don't know which one was Fat Man and which one was Bobby, but... We'll take a punt. So we'll, so we'll, uh, so so we started doing that, and um, we went. I remember we went to Johnny Marr's house to record a demo. How did that? How did you end up in Johnny Marr's house doing a demo? Matt in the band knew Johnny. He had a, right. he had a, a clothing uh, brand with him called Elk, I think it was called. Mm. And this was when Johnny was sort of in between. Uh, it was like the arse end of electronic, and he hadn't gone off and joined the Cribs or whatever he'd done after that. There was a little period of a few years. Yeah. Where, and I used to seeing him anyway at the football and stuff like that. So I went to his house, which was because I was a massive Smiths fan as a kid. And I, I remember going to his house and he had, and I've never embarrassed myself so much more in my life because he's got this, it, it, it's like a converted church kind of thing, you know. Uh, one of the music studios, so it's got this great big tall thing, it's beautiful, you know. And all the guitars are coming out of the corner of the room right. on their stands, like a triangle. And I went, <laughs> I walked in and was like, this charming man, top of the pops, 1983. You know, I was pointing a whisk guitar in you for which thing. And I just remember him turning around jokingly and going, get out of my house. <laughs> and I thought, right, we're all right here. You know? <laughs> so I had great hopes for that because I thought, Johnny, and he was doing the strings and all that. And I thought, oh my God, we're flying. We are. This is fucking never went anywhere. Mm. We did We did a CD, sent a demo out to all the record companies, made Johnny Mars name as big as we could legally on it. <laughs> nothing back nothing, at all. Nothing. Not even a, not even a thanks for your demo. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, uh, I mean, the, you know, I always say to, you know, well, anybody, but certainly younger actors, if I'm doing like talks with students and stuff, I say, this is a really hard industry to get into. Yeah. So, 
strap in and put your suit of armor on. And then, because I know quite a few musicians, and I always think getting into the music industry must be crushing, yeah. soul destroying as well. You know, in, on the same parallels of, as as the rejection with with acting all the time. Yeah, yeah, you've got to get used to that, I guess, haven't you? You've got to get used to that kind of. Yeah, ah, sorry, it's not you. For yeah, I don't think you do. So, well, no, because sometimes it's a bit like what you were saying. Then, not even a thanks for your demo. It's not for us. You uh, right, get that with acting as well. Not you know, you can meet people and go anything. Not even going to give you a reply there. I'm just going to just let you float on a cloud and think that you did all right, but not going to give you any closure <laughs> with it. <laughs> So you spend your life thinking, I wonder if they actually thought I was any good or not. But it's it's been 18 months since that. I've, I've not heard anything yet, surely. <laughs> and then it's on telly. Oh, <laughs> right, right, I don't think I'm in this. <laughs> Why don't you tell him? <laughs> so we'd... So we'd um, did you give up then with So we gave up with that, yeah. And then I was totally in the wilderness. That Totally in the wilderness. I remember just... Yeah, I'd stopped doing anything to do with music whatsoever. And no D, no DJ. Nothing, no DJ and gave up, gave up everything. Started doing this is fucking I'm laughing at myself now because this is what I'm like, you know, I'm kinda Right, bored of that now. You know, it's that kind of I remember somebody saying, Have you had a, like a bipolar sort of check or anything? I'm like, I'm, I'm too, I'm that I'm not of that generation. I don't want it diagnosing. <laughs> I've managed to just get out of that. But there's an element of me picking things up, thinking it's the greatest thing in the world, and then just putting it down and just thinking, oh, I didn't used to like, you know. Oh, well, you were obsessed with tractors, weren't you? Uh, you know, I'm like fucking two weeks, all I think about is tractors, fucking, oh, I love yeah, tractors, I'm going to collect complete, tractors. Completely rinse it. Look at all just... these pictures of tractors. Oh, you're still in the tractors? I was never in the tractors, was I? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hate them. Yeah. There's an element of that, just drop it and, and move, move on. on. Why even get into relationships? Because that's just, being like that, I, can't, I mean, I can't have a relationship, basically, I don't think. What, uh, have you just learned that over the years? I think I've learned that over the years, and that's not because of anybody else or the other person. It's, it's because, because of you. Of, it's because of me, because I'm self-centred, I guess. That might, there might be a kinder word for it than that, but there's definitely, I can't, I can't, I can't sort of, sh- yeah. I struggle sharing any of me with anybody else. I know that's, I mean, I'm sounding like a fucking narcissist now. No, 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 but I think but this- it, it's not so much that, it's more just, well, I haven't got time. How am I going to have a relationship? Who has time to have a relationship? That's crazy. Yeah, but you make time, don't you? If you want to. And exactly. And I, I'm, I'm not doing that. I don't do that. I never really have done that. But what about children? When chi- you can't... I can just, do it for children. Because you can't just go, I'm, I'm going to give that back now. No. I can do it for children because I because I love kids. So I'm, I, I find that easy. You know, yeah. I'm a natural dad, you know, and I, and I love it and I enjoy it. Um, and that's a part of me, you know, whereas a relationship doesn't feel like a part of me. Has it never done? Like a fucking murderer. Um, (laughs) Has it never done over the years? No, no. Thinking back, no, no, not really. I've never, at no point in my life, even when I got married, have I ever thought, this is our unit, you know, here we go. I just think, oh, I'll see what happens with this. Roll the dice. (laughs) Eternal pessimist, yeah. (laughs) But you see, you've you've always got that unconditional love with children. Mm. And that's there. That's, so I'm getting that. That, that love with children is just it's always there through you know 
the ups and the downs and the bumps and the scrapes. And yeah. I'm not going to bed. I, you know, the love is still there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. With, and that, with, that doesn't change. With a partner or a wife or a relationship where that love, yeah, you have to work at that sometimes. Yes. And, I, and I'm not very good at that because I'm concentrating too much on everything else. <laughs> you, you, so you've always been sort of lots of plate spinning type of person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Surely there's a burnout though at some point. I'm uh, still waiting for it. Yeah. Still waiting for it. I'm, it's, well, touch wood, it's it coming. Come. Well, this was this period that I'm talking about here where I stopped doing music. Um, at that point, I'd started on antidepressants because I was getting really horrible. And I, would, I, I always had since I was a kid that like a, just a, this occasionally this horrible darkness had come and I'd just feel frightened of everything. You know, I'd feel frightened of being alive. I'd feel frightened of fucking just scared to death constantly and just thinking, well, you know, all those things. Why? There's no point in me being, what am I, which, you know, I'm just in a little annoying thing in a cog. If I come out, I'm just in dangerous thinking really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if I come out of that cog, everything's going to move and all everybody else is part of these cogs. That whole machine will work. I'm the one stopping it working properly. So if I go, you know, all it was like, all right, okay, I've got a doctor's. Yeah. Well, how interesting that you said before when someone mentioned bipolar and you went, oh, I'm not, you know, <laughs> not of that age, but you still, you were the one that took yourself yeah, to yeah, the doctors yeah. to explain what was going to seek help. Now, every, you know, a lot of people do that now. Yeah. Because I think uh, the conversation about mental health, certainly in men, uh, yeah. has, has risen. You know, people talk, we talk about it. A lot, now, yeah, because it's okay. Too to much get... sometimes, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> you know. Sometimes I think that I'm like, you know, mental health. Everybody's still talking about mental health all the time. But you did take yourself to the doctor. But I did, yeah, back, and that was back then. And nobody talked about mental health. No, not at, at all. all. Especially just, not in the north. No, and I just remember thinking, well, I don't feel right at all. Something's not right here. If I'm having these thoughts, so I went to the doctor. And uh, and she was like, oh, you know, try these. <laughs> it was like sort of golden era, I think, of sort of, well, it's just post-Prozac, you know, it's just right. kind of, I didn't have to go in and, you know, cry and tell her that I was thinking bad things or whatever. I just went and said, I feel fucking awful. You know, I feel, I've got this horrible darkness, da, da, da. Oh, yeah, I'll try them. Sertraline. So I said, okay, yeah. So I tried them and then felt worse and was like, well, that's not, went back to the doctor, yeah, that's normal. You feel worse before you feel better. Wow. All right, so it's like coming off a drug or something. Yeah. Similar sort of thing. Something similar to what I've just been through, coming off alcohol, because I'm an alcoholic. Right. I'm an alcoholic. Um, and then I just remember driving to work one, uh, one, one day. I was doing a few bits of radio at the time. I'd gone in to do radio, but it wasn't music-related. It was commercial radio. How did you jump into radio? Uh... I'd done, oh, I'd done some telly back in there. I did a music program uh, that was the Tony Wilson slot, you know, Wednesday nights, uh, Granada 10, yeah. half 10. Yeah. And it, 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 something came up and Tony didn't want to do it because he was doing other stuff at the time. And the producer uh, had said, uh, I can't remember what, but I just thought that I was I was good for it or whatever. And Tony had said, oh, yeah, he's great, you know, because I've met him a few times. He's a nice guy. Get him in. So I went in to do the audition. It wasn't really an audition. It was just sat in the Rover's Return. And and, uh, <laughs> and they were like, right, we're going to film over a weekend in two weeks. Right, yeah, I'll do it, fine. 
never done telly before. It was horrible, actually. I hated it. Um, because I didn't realise there was that much sitting on your ass, just doing fucking... So much downtime. <laughs> I, I always think when people come and visit, uh, like, a film set, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's a play, you know, when we're going, when we're shooting for, like, the three minutes that we need for a for a 12-hour day, and it takes that long <clears> to, to film something, and you're just walking around the set going, what's it, mate? It's really boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just drinking cups of tea, <laughs> and, that, and just... they're sorting the lights out. Yeah, yeah, hour, yeah. You know? Well, there was a bit of that, and because I was the presenter, I thought, oh, well, I'll be... You'll be on it, on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But what happened was, they filmed the bands, everything else got done, and then right at the end of the day, at fucking 10 to 6... Elliot, you know, the little intercom thing, you'd go, right, you're on. So I'd go in. It was auto-queue. Yeah. So I had a bit of auto-queue training. Well, uh, that's a horrible thing. It's a stupid invention. So they put it in front of me, you know, so all of a sudden it's like, right, you're on. Here's what you've got to say. Right, here are the coral. da 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 this great new band from whatever. And the script was written in a really clunky way, and I was like, can I just change? And they were like... Time's against us. You've got ten minutes to do this. Six, six o'clock, the cameramen go into overtime. They've got a union with... It's Granada. A, a strong union. Yeah. yeah. You're fucked. Yeah. So, so just do it. And I was like, I don't feel right. doesn't matter. It's fine. We got it. When it came out, I remember watching it and thinking, oh, who's that piece of wood man <laughs> introducing <laughs> the band? Oh, What's man. What are you talking about? So I did not enjoy that at all. And the money was crap as well, actually. Um, so, yeah, it was through that that I got into radio, basically. Right. Phil Beckett, who worked at Revolution... Um, when it was it, when when Revolution was a uh, an indie radio station, so this is pre XFM. So at Revolution, it was Manny, it was Clint Boone, mm. um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And Phil Beckett, who was there at the time, said, um, "Do you want to come in and do a little demo?" And I was like, "Yeah, why not?" So I went and did a little demo. Got a weekend show Saturday, I think, playing what I wanted, which was great because I'd moved away from house music, so yeah. I was playing. I don't know what, LCD sound system, but I was also playing Bonnie Prince Billy and I was also... You oh, know, wow, was, you're really going everywhere. Yeah, and it was and great. How incredible now that you've got the freedom to play whatever you want. I mean, you, you, you just, that can't happen. Doesn't happen anywhere. No. And it was literally just to turn up, do it all. It was great. I think even at six, they get like... Yeah, they're still they still playlisted. Get, they get, but they, I think they get two choice, they get two plays of... Like a free play. That, that they can put into the list. Yeah, like, okay. Still, yeah. Everywhere else is... yeah. I mean, commercial radio, which this was, doesn't really exist anymore as a as a thing, unless you're global or bower. Mm. Um, so I did that; it was fun, and then and then I started doing the drive time show, standing in for Phil and stuff like that. And it was pre XFM, and it was great, and you know, blah blah blah. Then XFM came along. Right, I remember going to the launch party of XFM actually, and then not and not thinking, well, this is going to fucking kill us. Just thinking, well, oh, there's plenty of room for two independent. <laughs> Well, not independent because they were owned by whoever they were owned by. Yeah. There's plenty of room for that. Mm, there isn't. Um, no, not for this. Start listening to figures started to go through the floor in it, no time. Really? Yeah. Quite quickly? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the station got bought by Steve Pank, who used to be at God, Piccadilly Radio. Pank. Yeah, yeah. And did a bit of telly and stuff like that. He bought the station. Everybody else, Martin Coogan, Steve's brother from the Mock Turtles, uh, Manny, all those people when they heard Steve Paint was buying it, we're all like, fucking, see you later. <laughs> I'd see you later. That guy's a fucking clown. I'm not doing anything, you know. And Steve wanted to turn it into 
basically like Piccadilly Radio was in the 80s. Mm. So playing lots of 80s, lots of 70s, lots of pop, you know, rock, but commercial stuff. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, I got a bit older at this point. I thought, I'm not fucking jumping ship to be cool again. I'm going to do the opposite this time. And I was like, well, I'm staying. (laughs) (laughs) So they all went. I was the only one that stayed. I remember a few of them really saying horrible things about me because I'd stayed. They were like, oh, yeah. Because I remember saying... And they were like, fucking what? Why is that? And I remember saying, it's only music, fuck it. And I remember, I think it was Martin Coogan or something or other, putting a, making a snide remark about me saying, oh yeah, it's only music. <laughs> I was like, oh. At that point, I just thought, I just want a job, man. I just want a yeah. job. And Steve came in, he was dead nice to me. He could see that I had potential as a radio presenter. And I think he saw a bit of the old him in me or thought that he could maybe mould me into a Steve Pank type wacky guy which yeah. obviously never happened but so i did th- so that was me in radio for a long long time really so and also that, that stability yeah 13 but, years yeah. Uh, 14 years in radio and, and 10 on a breakfast show wow um and it changed owners over time but it was still a commercial radio station when girls allowed were popular it played girls allowed and sugar babes it played sugar babes you know um and i was all right with it i was like well you know it, it, if you're a BT engineer, you don't love poles. You just climb up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a job. Yeah. You know, a mechanic doesn't love spanners. So I just thought, it's just, I'm just, you know, that was This Is. And, and uh, you know, that was Boys Own, This Is the Rolling Stones. No, but the thing is, I can only imagine, no DJ loves everything they play. Surely not. No. They can't. No, it's not, it's not, it's not possible. No. So, and also, I'd taken a lot from Mark and Lard in the 90s and the way that they did at Radio 1, yeah. because they would play stuff they didn't like, and you would get a little vibe of when they didn't really like it, of because they would go the other way and say, boys own there. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> the Beatles, right, said Fred, boys own, you know, or whatever. They, so, so you'd always get a little vibe of the, just a small amount of sarcasm. So I thought, well, I can just dip in and out of doing that. Yeah. Um, and then you think, well, if I take the piss out of... Ronan Keating, whatever the song is, some horrible ballad, that's somebody's favourite ever song that's listening now. So how much of a cunt am I if I'm like, I was Ronan Keating, if you do, you know, oh, you don't like real music if you like that. You know, all that kind of yeah. thing. I don't want to be that guy. That guy's no. a wanker. Yeah. So, um, and I found it really liberating, you know, just to kind of, not have to be bothered about the music, just be bothered about the content and think, well, that's quite funny. Let's talk about bins, you know. Let's, yeah. let's watch. But also you're thinking about the listener, you're thinking about other people. Yeah. That can only be positive. Yeah, that's totally. Really, it's so it's a really nasty side to a DJ to really poo-poo somebody's, somebody's Ronan Keaton or somebody's, but they're fucking, they love it and that's fine because yeah. there's, there's a slot for everybody. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if you're talking about specialist music areas, that's a different thing. Yes. But you go to where you find your music, whereas commercial radio is just background wallpaper. You're in your car, you're on your way to work. You just want somebody to make you laugh. It's shit. It's Monday. And if you're doing breakfast or drive time, you know what kind of music to expect. Yeah. You're not going to be able to play some avant-garde thing that yeah. you truly believe has yeah. such great artistic vision. <laughs> yeah, because nobody's singing along to that in the car. Oh. But everyone's singing along to Push the Button by Sugar Babes, and quite rightly, it's fucking... Oh, it's banging track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so there was a bit of that, and I had really good co-hosts as well. Um, 
And I just loved it. I loved the idea that that it was a sort of a two-way thing and that you can picture... Radio is fucking great, man. You can you can imagine what where people are when they're listening, you know, and, and you kind of have a vibe of you know who you're talking to. So I know with our audience, if I'm talking about, oh, that massive hob in the middle when you've got eight, it's a bit of shit, that, isn't it? I always go bottom left with the... You know, all those sorts of little minutiae conversations that you know that other people are listening to going, yes! Yeah. Really basic stuff, but something kind of really heartwarming about it that I really enjoyed. And an honesty. Yeah. Because I, I, I love radio. I've yeah. always loved radio, all different types. Uh, but I can really hear when someone's being genuine and they're not, or they're interviewing somebody and they're laughing along with yeah, yeah, yeah. a certain anecdote. The guest is saying, they don't find it funny. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But they're they're forcing themselves to laugh and I just go, oh, you've put me off now because I can't trust anything no, I that's know. coming out of your mouth because yeah, yeah, I yeah. know. Once you see it, it's like you kind of see behind yeah. the... You, it's like Wizard of Oz, Wizard of, it? it's, <laughs> Don't look at the man behind the... Yeah. 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 No. I'm, I, and, then, no I'm, I'm, and then you go yeah. off people, yeah. but then you can hear genuine... Like Tom Robinson for me is always one of those people who... Mm. I can just hear he, he, the, how genuine he is about the music that he loves. And genuine passion yeah, about what com- he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 completely, yeah. yeah. And it comes through, you know, and that can come through with commercial radio, if there's any left that don't work for Capital or Hits Radio. And that was how I've ended up now, because the station got sold again. Right. Independent owner again, which I loved. Working for an independent small radio station business all this time, and I'm just on air. So I don't have to go to sales meetings. I don't have to fucking... I've got to get up at four in the morning. That's not very good. But I finish at 11 o'clock. I'll then sit down and have a natter about what's going on in the world and we'll have a look at it tomorrow. Um, and then go home. Have a nap for an hour. Pick Start daughter the up from school. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So, it, it, you know, it, was, it, was, it didn't feel like a job. Didn't feel like a job. Just for I turn up and talk and have a laugh with Di or Jackie, rolling around laughing. You know, I never got anything technically right. I was always late for the news. I was always, you know, was always, even when the station got sold, the car, the little car that they gave me was like, "You're infuriating. You're useless. You're, you know, it was kind of like, but you're funny and you're good. But you know, I don't understand how you don't know the news is." At the top of the hour, yeah, you know, after all these years, it's three minutes past midday, and I'm still going on, you know. And they're like, news guys giving me the old arm wave, you know. And I'm like, oh, we're all right. News is too- get any news on your phone, don't matter. I mean, it's a charmed life, really, when you think about it. Yeah, talking about the the, the hours that you actually have to put in. Oh, I. It, it was it was it was easy, <laughs> and that's why I liked it because yeah. it was easy and it was fun. And again, it didn't feel like a proper job. At no point have I ever, you know. I've always been frightened of that idea of a proper job because it makes me think of school and it makes me think of no qualifications and it makes me think of being locked in. Or being tied down. Forced into something that you have to go and do every day because somebody else wants you to do that. You know, you must, I imagine, feel this. it's this scary... Yeah, I don't know any different, though. Well, I mean, I'm sure people, and I know people have spoken to me about what I do for a living. Going, how can you do that? How can you not know what's going on? Well, it's all I've ever known since I graduated. <laughs> I'm 21, I'm 45 now. I, I mean, I, what scares the hell out of me is you doing your nine to five and you've got a day of presentations and interviews. <laughs> and it's like, 
Honestly, it makes me feel sick. It gives me heart palpitation. Yeah. Because I've got no frame of reference for it. I've, no. I don't know what that is. And I guess with your job as well, things change so much that, you know, you might be working on the next thing you're working on is completely different. So you've always got that injection of excitement and enthusiasm, and fear. Yeah, all yeah. those things that, yeah. that, that keep you going. It's con- constant first day of school. <laughs> it really is, you know. But luckily after... After so long doing it now, I'm going, oh, well, I've worked with that director before. Okay. I know that producer. Oh, look, there's that gaffer from that job. Or the, oh, I, know cool. the cat, I know certain cast. So, you know. So I guess that's exciting when you, when you, if you get, and then you look down the thing and you think, oh, yeah, they're yes. doing, yeah, right, we're going to so, have fun with it. But this. sometimes it's a reason to take a job. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. You, certainly if you're working with a director, because you've got, uh, you've got shorthand, so they don't need to be big. Uh, conversations about where we're going. I know the style that they work in. I know what they want from me. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. it's It might be t- terrifying and a bit challenging, but I know that they've got my back. Yeah. And I know what they want. So Hopefully it's like I you're already deliver. running with it. You're yeah. just jumping on it. Yeah. You're not, you're not starting yeah. from a standing yeah. point. And, and also, if you're if you're working alongside an actor that you've, you've worked with on... I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with certain people on two, three, four occasions. It's oh, great. Well, I know we're going to absolutely bounce off it. It's going to be like a fucking beautiful ballet or a game yeah, of tennis. Yeah. It's going to be fantastic. You see it with the cast of Line of Duty in, in, in your out-of-hours stuff, whether that's social media or just photos of people arriving on set to do stuff or finishing things or whatever. Yeah. And I remember looking thinking... That looks like fun. That yeah, that, lot of that, fun. that looks yeah. like really good fun yeah. working on that. Yeah, because there's a lot of in jokes and there's a lot of stuff. And almost does some of that even make it into the programs here and there? And you know, so that's yeah. But um, that's that's the fun of of n- n- never having a proper job, isn't it? Yeah, that's the that's the bonus of it. But you've got to work hard, and it's scary. Those well, it is. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's constant sort of balancing act, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, it's terrifying. So. We'd finished, uh, so I was still doing radio, loving it. And then um, it got sold. Of course it got sold. It got bought up by one of the big media companies. And that was it. I was out, you know, and, I, and then I shit myself because I was like, so this was in the middle of lo- the first lockdown. Right. Uh, my boss said, listen, the, I've, uh, we've been made an offer and I've taken it. And I was like, all right, okay. And I, I never got paid much for it, but it was always on the premise that when I make money, you'll make money. Yeah. Okay, all right. I thought maybe I'm going to get a bit of that. I fucking didn't. <laughs> of course not. You don't. The donkey doesn't get the carrot. You know, no, that, it doesn't work like. If the donkey gets the carrot, then then the donkey's not going to chase the next one. So he was like, "You've got a month left," uh, and I was like, "Right, okay." Oh. And then I just thought, I don't know what I'm, what I'm going to do, and I was really frightened, really, really frightened because I got so used to it just being this cozy little thing that would just about pay the bills. That's fine. Don't yeah. want to make more money than that. I'm not fussed. Um, and I just thought, all right, maybe I could go and get another job in radio. Well, there aren't any. I can't, I can, you know, and there isn't any for any decent money. I was looking around at stations like XS Manchester and a few others and I thought, oh, I shall have a crack at BBC maybe and... That's a tough, you know, unless you've already worked in the... I've never done any work for the BBC before. It's hard to get in the door. Once you're in the door, you can move around a little bit, I think. But it's it's a big old door, isn't it? So... Well, you see that with um, 
with Radio 1 DJs and they get to a certain age and they go, right, you're going to Radio 2 now. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the audience there. And you do see them sort of move around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get sort of put out to the, you know, and you think, all right, what's that age? It's about like, it's about probably about, well, Radio 1 now. I don't know who the oldest. Scott Mills would be the oldest on Radio 1, I should imagine. Yeah, and he's probably about what? 40-something, 40, 40 I think. Is he? Scott Mills, yeah. Right. He's very good. He is very good. Uh, for for a he's so natural. I could he, he, there's no airs and graces. There's just he's just so relaxed when he's doing. Some it. people have just got it. On yeah, the radio, haven't they? Yeah, he's one of them. I don't feel like people. Chris Evans for me as well as was a natural on the radio. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Really good. I mean, you know, but they tend to now. Sometimes I I switch around stations. And for some reason, they've they've gone. Oh well, that person's a really good presenter on the telly, or that stand-up's really good. Let's put them on the radio. And yeah. you go, just because they're funny in that medium doesn't mean you can plonk them in that. Because I think it's something you've got to work really hard. It drives me fucking mad. That. Yeah, it's and nuts, it always has it? done. It's like you don't get a plumber to fix your fucking <sighs> electricity. You don't get, you know. And it's yeah. I, I remember starting seeing that when I was DJing. It started to be, hang on, that guy out of. News. How long has he been a fucking DJ for? Is yeah. <laughs> or whatever, or whoever, or whatever. I'm but... sure they're there pushing all the buttons, and they've really learned. No, they've got somebody else. Yeah. And they're just doing <laughs> there a are a few work. that are very good, actually. Yeah. In in fact, I mean, Clint Boone's a brilliant DJ. Oh my god, yeah, of course. I'm the nicest guy in the whole. She's world. been doing it for so long. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so pleased because he's so happy that you know nightclubs are starting to go back open. Because that's so his. Get... I mean, he's been. How long has he been doing South Nightclub? Yeah, twenty. I think it's the longest residency in the country. I think. Yeah, probably isn't it? Yeah, and he loves it. He loves it. Absolutely, yeah. for it, doesn't he? He's been dead supportive with the source thing as well. Well, lots of people have, but he was one of them where I think you could see. Oh, he's trying to make a, quite a big jump here. Two seconds to do a tweet will help that, you know. <laughs> so people well, sort of realised. I, I mean, think, we'll move on to the power of social media later, certainly for advertising crazy. for what you were doing. Yeah. So. When you were thinking, obviously, because the, the the natural thing would be to look at other stations, but if there's nothing there, then there's no yeah. jobs. Th- that was it. And so I was very upset. I remember on the last day I was in floods of tears and I remember saying to, because we all sort of gathered in the office, you know, and I'd been there the longest. And I remember somebody saying, oh, you're very emotional. And I said, it's not the end of a job for me. It's the end of a career. Mm. For you, it's the end of your job. If you're in sales, you're going to go and do sales there or whatever or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But my career's just ended completely and I've gone off the edge of a cliff because I've got no... I have got skills. I remember saying I've got no skills, I've got no skills, and somebody saying, an AA meeting, actually, (laughs) and somebody saying, you have got skills. You're showing me them now. You're a good communicator. You're good, you know, all this kind of thing. And I was like, okay, maybe. But just thought, oh, fuck me, that's what I'm going to do. And And I remember thinking, and it was this binary... I either go and be a postman. Um, Similar hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I thought, because I, I know loads of, you know, people that have been at, it's, it's funny up north. Well, I don't know if it's just an up north thing, but it seems quite a noble uh, a noble occupation being a postman. Um, I get the little uniform, get a pair of gazelles, yeah. some shorts, <laughs> big bag. I thought, I can do that for a bit. I thought, and then... I thought about, I can't remember what it was, but I just thought, oh, maybe I'll just try and sort of create something from nothing, you know. I've got a chance here to do that. I've never had a chance in my life to, you know. So, and then I thought back to years ago when I lived in a house up in uh, Cheshire, really nice house, 
Um, and it had a utility room, quite a big utility room that had glass ceiling, you know. Yeah. So I bought a load of chilli seeds because I had a bit of time on my hands at that time during the day because I was doing the breakfast show. I bought a load of chilli seeds. I didn't know anything about what types of peppers were hot, what was not, knew nothing. Just fucking bought a load of them. Bang them in it. And then, yeah, got obsessed with them. And I'm in there all the time, little tiny pair of scissors. And I'm fucking, you know, that girlfriend at the time was like, you fucking spend all your, do you want to walk the dog maybe instead of, you know. So I grew, I grew the, these chilies, a huge amount of them, and I thought, oh my god! So I plucked them all. And I remember putting plants on me. On me, it was in the middle of nowhere in, mm. in this village. And I remember putting them on the on the wall with a little sign, you know, chili plants three pounds. On the thing, I thought oh, maybe people walk past by. Nobody did. So I thought, right, I'll make a chili sauce because while well, you get, you know, you, you got chilies, you make chili sauce. <laughs> so, uh, <coughs> and again, I got obsessive about that. Got to get this right. Got to get this right. That's not right. <coughs> That's too sweet. That's too... So I'd made it. And I got it. I remember getting it right and thinking, yes, that's that's it. That's, that is absolutely perfect. Were you doing like a load of research about it as oh, well? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I was going... I'd go on to uh, YouTube and watch Jamie Oliver making a chilli sauce. Then I'd go on to some American, you know, hey, guys, some fucking American in his shed. What's up, guys? Yeah. Welcome to episode two, you know, and it's some fucking... swear it's the same guy that does all those videos. So I'm like, oh, right, he uses... So I'm just nicking bits, yeah. you know, like when you make music, you know, like a bit of that, like a bit of that. So I'm just nicking bits of other people's stuff. And uh, and I got it and thought, oh, well, that's perfect. And then life took over, got married, had a baby, blah, blah, blah. And I only I made about two jars of it. I, I had one myself, gave one to somebody else. And then it was just one night, once I'd lost my job at the radio, one night I just thought, if I've still got that recipe for that chilli sauce, I'm not thinking I'm going to make a new job out of it. I wonder if I've still got that recipe for it. Have I egg? So I can go on. You know, I wrote it down on an envelope or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember thinking, oh, and I thought, oh, I'm going to make that again. I'm going to have a go at making that again, see if I can remember how I make it. So I started just pissing about and thought, all right, okay. And then, again, this oh, drilled down thing started happening and I'm like, right, oh, this is all I can think about or talk about. I'm getting it, I'm getting it, it's going, it's going, you know. And at the time, it, I was still at the radio. I knew I had my month to go. So I was taking it in and giving it to my co-presenter, Di, poor fucking girl, because I don't know what I'd... She'd be like... Oh, yeah. And I'm like, have you noticed it's slightly... And she's like, oh, yeah. She's <laughs> just taking her face off, you know. Right, yeah. But I've got a high tolerance, so I can taste all the other stuff underneath the heat. Mm. Um... So I remember guinea picking it and she gave me, bless her, she gave me a blender because she was like, I want to give you this, you know, to, to make this sauce with because it's, you know, I can see you're really passionate about it basically just fucking don't stop going on about it and don't bring it in again. And then, and then I just thought as it was getting closer to me leaving, like I say, I remember it finishing and me just thinking, right, I had to be a postman or <laughs> I could give that a go. Yeah. So if I'm, all I've got to do is make a bottle of it just one bottle of it and sell it to one person. And then if somebody else wants to, and then hopefully they'll tell other people, then if somebody, you know, really right, right from the dot. I thought, fuck it, you know. Why not? I remember somebody, a phrase that somebody said called chuck it in the fuck it bucket, which was basically, as it, as it sounds, you know, it's like, do you know what I'm going to, and I just thought, I don't know if I'm going to get another opportunity for this. So I started thinking about what's it going to look like? What's it going to, all this sort of stuff, mm. keeping me up at night. Who's going to do the label? 
what do I do? Blah, You're blah, really blah. thinking. I was thinking I need somebody who's quite well known, whose work I like. Mm. And I was thinking, right, Stan, ciao. Known Stan for years. Old mate. Done loads of event stuff with him over the years. Stan, right, do I get Stan? And then I remember thinking, no, because if I ask Stan, because I haven't got any money is the first thing. And I just thought, if I ask Stan, people will just think, oh, he's just doing this so, so he can get Stan to draw a picture of his head. Yeah. For free. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I don't want... Anyway. And then Pete Fowler, who's a, who's a, a, a somebody that I've just sort of known through social media, really, and love his, loved his stuff. Yeah. And it's quite psychedelic and colourful. And I just thought, I wonder if Pete would do it. So I just sent him a message saying, do you, you don't fancy knocking up, you know, it's like kind of... <laughs> Just doing that call where it's, you know, asking a band to play for exposure, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was that guy. And I was like, you know, fancy knocking up and we'll work some that out and you know I'm good for it, and, but I haven't got any money. And he, bless him, he's such a good guy, was like, yeah, man, this sounds exciting. Fuck it, let's, let's go for it. I was like, right, okay, well, at some point I'll get a contract and we'll do it. And he's like, don't even, don't even worry about it at the moment. Let's just crack on and get it something that looks nice. Yeah. So I was going backwards and forwards with ideas for him and I thought, all right, we're actually doing this then. Where do you get bottles from? <laughs> God, really starting at the bottom. What are the rules? Yeah. What's, do I have to have a hygiene certificate? What's the... I knew nothing about anything whatsoever. So I'm having to bulk buy boxes and stuff like that. I didn't realise cardboard was that fucking expensive. I'm like, how come that costs a pound a box? Right, I need to get that cheap. I need to... Da, 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 da. So many factions to it. But at the bottom of it was this recipe that was right you know and i knew it was right um so pete liked the uh what's he what's he called fucking most famous actor in the world isn't he one of them paul newman paul newman pete liked the paul newman uh salad dressing box. yeah of course it's got his face on it yeah, yeah. and pete was like do you want to do something like this because i love that paul newman kind of thing and i and i and i do faces you know that's part of I was like, yeah, all right, give it a go, yeah. And he's like, oh, send us a picture that I can use for it. So I sent him a stupid picture, just like, you know, a daft kid's thumbs up picture. And he drew it and was like, there you go. And I was like, oh, we can't fucking use that. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we can, fucking, you know, Why work not? around. Yeah. yeah. So then I said, oh, can we make it like a bit psychedelic, but a bit, make it look a bit sort of old, fairgroundy sort of, don't know, you know. Mm. He knows a bit, what a bit trial and error at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throwing him ideas. Yeah, and then him back. going, no, that's shit. No, yeah, that's pretty good. And and then we just got a design going and that was that. And then, I, and then I'm like, right. I, I'd never do, done done a business before. <laughs> and I thought, right, how much do I charge for it? How much does it cost me to make? So there was a lot of sitting down and all the boring shit. Yeah. You know, right, if I buy them at that, I've got a load of them at that, that's going to cost that. How much does it cost me to make a bottle? Can I get that cheaper? Can I get that cheaper? Can I get that cheaper? At some point I can, but then the quality drops off. Which you don't want. Where is that? It's got yeah. to be good. All that. I have no idea how you do any of that, but I'll just taught myself and, and then all the sums and all that kind of bollocks was, was shite, but I was just enjoying making it, you know, yeah. and giving it to other people. And then I just got a thousand labels printed and I managed to find the bottles. They're like medicine bottles from Italy. That's why it's in that funny little bottle. Um, a really thick glass, and I, I remember just thinking, right, I'm going to buy five thousand of these. 
Oh my god! And and I'm gonna and then I've got to make five thousand bottles of sauce. And did you sold that first thousand at this point? No, no, no. I'd sold about. I, well, I hadn't even put the shop online yet. Right. But I knew it looked great, and I just thought I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna go at this. So I put, you know, whatever, how much five thousand bottles cost, but probably about was that about three thousand quid, I think, about a pound a bottle, just under. Um. And was like, Ooh, I haven't got any money, but I have got 5,000 bottles. <laughs> yeah, empty, empty bottles yeah. and zero money. But I've uh, got a really good recipe. But I've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, th- so this is, you know, and I've got the, and I've got this confidence or the desperation actually yeah, to do it. And also when I'm doing st- stuff, when I get into doing stuff, I'm not, I'm not, I can't, I can't get outside it. I can't get outside it to, to see it. It doesn't matter what that is. Like when I was DJing and somebody would come to me afterwards and they might say, that was great. And I'd be like, was it? I don't, right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, or that was a bit shit or whatever. You know, I'm like, is it? I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not... I'm not looking. I'm not on the outside looking in. I'm actually on the inside and I can't see anything else. At all. Yeah. Which is, which is, why, it, which is why it works, really, because that's the driving force of something, you know. Um. So I just thought, right, I'll crack on. And uh, and I thought, right, well, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not giving any of it away. Because if I start knocking out, you know, influencers, all that kind of thing, then I'm just, I'm not getting a true indication in any way at all of no. whether this is good or bad or, yeah. or indifferent or what. You could quite easily have done that. Yeah. But as you say, yeah. But I just no thought, indication there. I, I, can't, I can't, yeah, I've, I've got a... I've got to trust that it's good enough. So I just cracked on and did it. And then, and then I remember launching it. And I was really shitty little, which I've still got the shit website, like 20 quid a month website. I don't know how you make a website. I do. Somebody else, you know, right, yeah. Rick who does a website. I can do that. Take me two minutes. Because that's what he does. He knows how to do it. Yeah. So I came across more of those sorts of people. Nick, another mate. Oh yeah, I've got a printer's. I'll do labels, don't worry about it. I'll 50 quid, whatever. We'll sort something out. The benefit of knowing lots of different people. Mm. It was all coming together. Yeah, yeah, and lots of people that were like, yeah, I'll give you that. that take, take me two minutes. Um, it's not going to cost me nothing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll do it. Those are the types of people you need. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I didn't know there were so many of them around. Yeah. Um, well, especially during lockdown. Yeah. On. I mean, people are, I'll fucking do anything. Yeah, well, that was the that was the thing as well. Is that to do something, I'll do anything. Yes. So there was an element of that, and also more people were spending more time on social media. Oh man! So it was the like the 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 right yeah you know lightning struck in the right place really because everyone's on Twitter because they're bored they're not working whatever everybody's but wants to buy something that feels a bit luxurious that they can have in their home because they can't go out yeah everyone's cooking more because they're oh, in all the time God yeah. <laughs> So everything's, every box is getting ticked, yeah. you know, and I thought, all oh, right, I might be onto something here. No, never having consciously that thought, only looking back now thinking, oh, yeah. But just thinking, I'm just going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, make it, make it. And then, so I started having to upscale some of the stuff that I was, because at first I was making it, and, I, you know, I was using a little fucking funnel to put it into the each individual bottle, and then I'm like, how oh, do I sterilise bottles? I don't know how you do that. So I'm just doing it in boiling water in a big pan. Fucking burns all over me, you know, all this. And I'm like, oh, there must and this be- is all from your kitchen, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I thought there must be quicker ways to do all this. But there's not much online about it, so. 
I was a bit like, right, okay, how do I do Right, I'm going to have to try and find some money to do some bits and bobs. So I'll just put it on sale. So it was always on back order. It wasn't like I made it and there was a load of it in my house and then I sold it. Yeah. It was, buy your sauce now, you know, right, I've launched the website, blah, blah, blah. So I hit Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And it went very quickly, as things do on social media. People sharing it saying, hey, this looks ace. Look at the bottle, looks cool. This looks new business. What? How's he gone from doing that to this? this what the hell? Yeah. Might give that a try, blah, 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 blah. I remember waking up the, the morning after it launched in November and thinking, oh, God, I wonder, I'll go and see if anyone's bought it. Went on to me PayPal. And there's about a grand in me PayPal, and I was like, oh, fucking hell. And I'm looking, there's like all these orders, and I thought, oh, shit, I ain't got any sauce. I better get cooking. I can't show over the empty bottles. I'm going to have to crack on. So I was just flat out, flat out, flat out, because it's just me. I thought, the only way I'm going to make a living out of this is if I keep it just me for as long as I can. And I've got to work myself into the ground. I know that. But most businesses don't make money in the first year, two years, whatever. This was paying my rent from day one. Just. So, yeah, so like you were saying, the power of social media is is what gave it legs. Is I mean, what an advertising tool it's been. I mean, before you came in, um, Griff were talking about sort of Twitter cesspit and he was on yeah. it, he was going, oh, it's horrible. And I was like, yeah. oh, I've deleted Instagram off my phone and I'm just, I'm just, uh, unless I have to, it's, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just having a little bit of a breather, you know, because yeah. I think that's really healthy. But for you, I mean, my God, it's, uh, it's, done wonders for yeah I, I knew that I had that you know and and because that was all I had because I'm not in a shop because I can't afford an advert because I've not got anything mm. what have I got that so we had to use it for your advantage didn't so you? what of it so what so what can I do that doesn't cost anything that might that might be entertaining for people or or convince them that this is something that they might want to buy the answer being fucking memes, being stupid videos, being little weird competitions that you get people involved in over social media, all that. So I just thought, and because I'm quite a confident person, I just thought, well, if I, I've got my face on the bottle, so I'm going to have to own it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to, I, 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 you're going to have to step up. <laughs> yeah. So I am going to have to make silly videos. Yeah. And I am going to have to do these things because, it's not just the, the people are buying into the, the source and it's good, but they're buying into the whole thing of it, whatever that thing is. And that thing was created over social media. So when you, if you try to, I'm thinking about this on the way over, if you try to monetize, you know, what, what, what I got from the power of social media as far as advertising goes, uh, I don't know, it'd be a lot, it'd be a lot of money. Yeah. It would be a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And I was lucky that I think people saw, okay, he's had a total career change. This is fucking pretty bonkers. I'm going to buy some and see what it's all about. The intrigue. Yeah. Then people with lots of followers who were kind of friends who had always, I'd looked out for them a bit. They'd looked out for me a bit, started buying it and tweeting about it. So people like Graham Park, Bonehead, chefs, Simon Wood, people like that had started and, and they and they were buying it. And not not at one point did I ever have anybody asking me for a free one. Good. At no point did anybody send me a little DM going, Chuck us a you know, other than some YouTube reviewer or whatever. And I was like, Yeah, because oh, obviously right. 
people know what you've done and you've started this from scratch and you've been slaving away. Yeah. Hot and sweaty in a kitchen. Yeah. With a shitload of chilies and like, it's not like you're just going to give this away. And I knew that that was, that element was a part of it. So I made sure that people know, all right, this is just me doing everything mm. from taking the top off the first chili to annoying, um, the geezer at the post office by turning up going, oh yeah, yeah. boxes full of, but all that's, you know, all the, like even the postal side of it, it you know, it's, it's, it's an eight person business at best really. But I just, uh, uh, and for somebody who doesn't know anything about any of those things, it was pretty scary and there's been a learning curve, but. And to go from one flavour and now you're branching out into all, <laughs> I mean, what is it now? Four. To four. Yeah. So I started out just with an original hot sauce and I did find out after a while that there's a kind of a nerdy group of people who have hot sauce aficionados. Mm. You know, they're into it. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are ex-drinkers, actually. Oh, are they? Yeah. Who need a kick from somewhere. Right, okay. And get it from that. Yeah. Like, they're dead into artisanal coffee and they're dead into different hot sauces because that's the only fun left. <laughs> if they're going in, they're going in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Deep. They're going deep. So it was... Um, yeah, so I started just with the original and that started really shifting. And then I thought, right, how do I... Uh, and then orders start dropping down slightly after the initial buzz. And I remember just thinking, okay, so, you know, once these famous people have tweeted about it uh, and that's made other people think, well, if they like it, I'll buy it. I remember getting up one morning and I had a load of fucking orders from Ireland right down the paper. What the fucking hell is this? And it was Bonehead who tweeted, they've got a massive following in Ireland, Oasis. Really? I had no idea. Yeah. And it was because he tweeted about it and all the, he basically said, do us a favour and buy this, will you? Wow. Okay. Buy it all. I mean, talk about money can't buy. That's I know. Can't buy advertising. Yeah. yeah. And even on his Instagram, he'd put a thing on and Liam had put a thing underneath it going, influencer. And I'm like, right, I'm screenshotting that and using that, you know, <laughs> by any means necessary. Yeah, of course. Um, but I didn't know how to do, because uh, then all the Brexit stuff had come in. So I was like, oh my God, how do I send these to Ireland? Here are the forms. You know, I'm like, oh, don't make it harder. <laughs> so that's been a nightmare, but yes, for everyone. But then I thought, right, how do I keep it interesting for me and for everybody else? Yeah. And then, and that was, right, I bring out, ones with daft little names. And what, what what I wanted to avoid was, if you look at hot sauces, a lot of them are like, killer bastard. Yeah, they're quite aggressive, aren't they? They're a really blokey American kind of yeah, yeah. ass fire, you know, and oh. it's a, a cartoon donkey with fire coming out of his ass. I don't want to buy that. Or it's a skull and crossbones no. and it's like, you know, granny killer or whatever. And you're like, that's... Da danger. Yeah, yeah, all that. And yeah. you're like, that's fine for Uncle Dave at Christmas or for somebody you don't like as or, a birthday or, present. Or a joke present. Yeah. Gimmicky sauces. I thought, right, I'm keeping well away from all that gimmicky sauce scene because, you know, they're the ones you see when you're at the till at TK Maxx and you're paying for stuff and you're like, oh, those are the yeah. bro sauces. They're really called naff, them. Yeah, they? they're like, bro, bro, you know. Yeah, like, they really are. And, you, and all you're going to do at Christmas is dip a little cocktail stick in it and go, oh, my fucking God. And then it just lives in the cupboard forever. Yeah. And never gets touched again. And I thought, right, I ain't doing that. That was the first thing I thought. It's got to have flavour. It's got to have... It's got to be something that... because I want people to empty that fucking bottle as quickly as they can without sounding like a massive capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> like Alan Sugar. <laughs> I, want, I want that bottle empty rapid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And if they're reusing it and not buying it again, that's great. And that's another thing is I also thought, right, how do I do this without any plastic? That's pretty fucking difficult. Mm. Oh, especially with packaging and... and yeah, yeah, I managed to get the no no plastic in the packaging. Um, but that's another thing entirely. And it, and it, and when I made it, by accident, it was gluten-free and vegan. So I thought, hey, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. This is gluten-free and it's vegan. There's no... Oh, right. But I had to re- do a lot of reading up on sort of food tech and things like that, which was so fucking boring. And a six-hour exam for food hygiene, hygiene yeah. thing online where... <laughs> I tried to cheat by, you get the question, it'd be like, you know, what is the pH of a da-da-da-da? Copy. Oh, over to Google Paste. And, I'll, and then I'll get the answer and I'll just, I'm like, I did the first couple of questions, paste the answer, put it back in and it just went, bing. I was like, oh no, it's got some fucking setting in it where it recognises the first answer on Google to that question, the oh. format of those words, and it just went bing and they disappeared. And I was like, oh no, I can't even <laughs> cheat. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit of a bastard. But uh, So I just thought I'll make some more varieties and uh, and have fun. That's the key, is is make it look like you're... Uh, well, I am having fun, but, yeah. but, but pass that fun on. Put sweets in the boxes giveaway stickers. So I remember thinking, when I was a kid, all I ever wanted was, like, fucking stickers and sweets. And if somebody told me when I was seven, you can get free stickers and free sweets, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. Well, that's, that's why you wanted, um, like, the dandy and Beano when yeah. they had, like, badges or stickers or, like, a, you know, packet of fizzways on the front. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having that. Yeah. It's yeah. like nowadays, you know, sometimes I... And he never asks for it. When he doesn't ask for it, that's when he gets it. <laughs> with my son, like, if we're going on a long journey or going on a holiday or, you know, those times when he used to go away on a plane, <laughs> he would, uh, I would get him, like, a, a magazine, you know, yeah. a Lego magazine, because he's mad for it. Oh, it's right. like, three ninety nine. Yeah. I mean, it's a piss take. Yeah. Isn't it? And the front, yeah, and Greta's fucking fuming, because the, the, the front end of those magazines is just fucking... Oh, yeah. It's just plastic. Yeah. And my, uh, my daughter was like, can I have that? And I'm like, the magazine don't get red. No. And she wants a Barbie whatever or a thingy. And I'm like, oh, God. And I've, st- I've managed to get her out of it now. But when she was about three or four, it was very difficult to get her to... Because that's the bit, that's the fun bit at the... You know, and I'm just like, oh, my God, that's uh, there is so much fucking plastic coming into this house. Yeah. And that was only a few years ago I really started thinking about that. About, okay, maybe I can... I mean, you know burning acres and acres and acres of fields of tyres in Iraq, you know, and I'm fucking trying to use a metal straw. <laughs> it's that kind of, have I seen myself? This is the, but why, I don't know what else I can do. Yeah, you can only try your best. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to not put plastic in any packaging or anything like that, and, you know, there's a 10 square mile tyre fire going on 24 yeah. hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> And a factory in God knows where, just pumping that shit out. <sighs> but then you're trying to, you just get so bogged down with that. It's the most depressing thing in the world. Especially at the moment, because it seems to be in the news so much again. And you were talking about having fun there. Yeah. And it's fun. It's fun. It's really hard work. But everything around, you know, standing over, standing over a box of 20 kilograms of Carolina Reapers, which are the hottest chili in the world, and two and a half million on the Scoville scale, with a mask on, gloves on, and goggles, and and having to stalk them. Yeah. And then it's like break. It is basically it's breaking back. It's, it is breaking back. Yeah. You know, 
and then you take everything off and it goes in the bin or it goes in the washing machine and you don't touch anything. You go upstairs and have a shower. Yeah. <laughs> That's not that much fun, really. Or, or accidentally, yeah, everybody's done it. Oh, don't. There are various bits of your body that are quite sensitive to it as well, aren't yeah. they? Um, some, some on show, some not, depending on what kind of person you are. But yeah, I've done where I've touched my eye and I've been like, I did, it was in, I've, I've been doing something, I ran out of apple juice, I think. So I went to Lidl because I thought, right, I'll just get some cartons of apple juice from Lidl. I'll use those. So I went out a little. And as I was looking, I'd, I'd, I'd take no summit or other, but I put my finger in my eye and it had been reapers I'd been doing. <sighs> and I was in Lidl for about 45 minutes trying not to look at anybody because I just thought, I look like I'm having a nervous breakdown. I was tears streaming. Crying. My eye looked like a big pickled onion. Oh. I mean, so the, <laughs> the downsides of it are, are stuff like that. Um, the upsides of it are waking up in the morning and seeing orders from overnight. Getting in an ex, getting seeing that somebody in Japan's bought it, seeing that somebody in I don't know where has bought it, and thinking, hey, that's good. Um, or just seeing, and it became a thing on social media that when people get it, they take a picture of it and they put it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. I don't know how that started, but it did. Yeah. Now, so when people get their source, well, it started because it was lockdown and everyone was bored to shit. So now when they get it, it's that kind of. So it's almost become like a club type thing where yeah. it's like, I'm going to, now I'm in the, I got all the, and that's why I named, you know, like when you buy all three, that was all the lads. So you can order all the lads and I called it all the lads or, so I'll do a deal and I'll call it a name that people can sort like the four sourcemen of the apocalypse, which I just did. So people are sort of buying into the fun of that a little bit. And then. And also that, that power of advertising is, it's, it's the social media version of word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's carrying on what yeah. you started. Yeah, completely. And then people started doing daft uh, memes. So Pete started making some. I can't do any of that shit. I'm rubbish at all that. But people like mates that were graphic designers and stuff, who it takes them two minutes, yeah. would mock up whatever. You know, so it was movie posters, so it'd be Saws instead of Jaws and a bottle coming up, and it'd be some... There was, I got sent some really out-of-order ones from various... <laughs> disasters and terrorist attacks that have happened over time. I was like, oh, they're going on social media. That's going to sink. Yeah. But, um, so then it became, so, so then they called themselves the meme team. So that was like Dean Marsh is a graphic designer, uh, artwork who's a DJ lives in the States now. Uh, and Pete, a few others. So then anything that happened in the news, it got done straight and it became this little competition to see who can get on that quickest. Yeah. So with those anti-vax nutters who were raiding the not the BBC that building. so funny. <laughs> yes. I mean, you can't not laugh at that. I mean, those poor police, but... I thought that because I saw the video and I was like, there's some copper getting hit with an umbrella in the... Yeah. I was like, oh, what, what are they... They're trying to get into Soho House. Yeah. <laughs> it's they're trying ridiculous. to get into... ridiculous. What, they want to fucking use the pool or something? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I just, I don't get it. And it's, I don't get that. I don't get that. Well, that's a whole thing, you know, people yeah. are entitled to various opinions, but I don't, anyway. Um, but instantly there was a, a meme straight away of me, of my head had been put onto the body of a naked man and, and then transposed onto climbing up the wall of the BBC with, you know, hot sauce entrepreneur finally loses it during whatever. About two minutes after the story had come out, that wow. was, that, and that's flying around because it's funny and everything's yeah, yeah, topical. Yeah. Um, but then I got sort of weirdly scared that 
all right, and we're just in a sort of funny, ha ha ha, funny little internet world during lockdown where everybody lives in the funny little internet world because they can't go in the real world. And the real world's coming back a bit. Shit. So I just thought, I don't want to be like a lockdown thing. I don't want to be... Oh, do you remember? You know, like when he it, did that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, do you remember? It was it was Tiger, uh, Tiger, the Tiger Man, a banana bread, banana bread, and we had Zoom pub quiz. And do you remember the hot sauce? sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought I ain't get. I got to get. I've got to make this a, a, a real in the real world thing. So that's why I started doing markets and things like that because yeah. I thought, well, that's the only. Other than getting in supermarkets. And how's that going? Are you getting it in supermarkets? I've decided not to. Right. I hope Mittal from General Stores isn't listening to this because <laughs> he was the first to ask me. I was going to say. Straight away. They're, they're quite a strong supporter of, yeah. you know, independent companies. He, oh, totally they are. Yeah. They're brilliant. And coach General Stores. There you go. Um, but they are, no, they're fab. They, they, so he said, right, you got to get me this. I need 50. And I was like, dude, it takes me talking two days to make 50 at the moment. What's your wholesale price? I was like, what's, what's that? <laughs> what's a, well, it costs £5.50. No, no, your wholesale price. <laughs> oh, fucking... <laughs> <laughs> My wholesale price <laughs> is... What is my wholesale price? price. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was absolutely shocked when I saw what generally a wholesale price is for a product like that because it's 50%. And I just thought... And although Mittal uh, would probably offer me more, I'm sure, because he's a fair guy. But, you know, if you're looking at uh, Tesco or whatever, you're looking at probably just a bit less than 50%. So then I'm looking at my profit margin and going, right, well, then I'm going to make 70p a bottle. And if it takes me a day to make a batch, which is about 75 bottles, that's not much money. It's not worth it. <laughs> with, with, the, with, the, with the amount of work I've got to do once it's made, yeah. getting it out, blah, blah, I just thought, because then I've got to get a distributor, that's going to be another cut off there. And I thought, oh, this is like the record industry all over again. I've seen this before. Yeah. This is, here's the product. Here are all the people taking the cut until the person has it in the house. And there you go. That's what you're left with. Then. And there you go. There's your penny. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because during our conversation, something that's, that's always cropped up with various... And I, I, you know, I don't want to say jobs because that's exactly what I'm about yeah. to say. You, you've always said, "Well, I don't want it to feel like a job with yeah. whatever you're doing." So, if you expanded more, are you saying it would start to feel like a job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know where I want to. I know where I want this to go, and it's not supermarkets. And at first, I thought, and that's the first thing. The first two things anybody asks you when you say you're doing hot sauce. First thing is, oh, you should get that in supermarkets. Second one is, you should go on Dragon's Den. <laughs> just because one fucking guy who made hot sauce was on Dragon's yeah. Den. They just think, because you make that association yeah, of course. with Levi Roots immediately, you just think, oh, you're doing hot sauce, Dragon's Den, because mm. he's worth £40 million pounds or whatever he's worth. Um, and he just walked away, sold the whole lot, and was yeah. like, see, yeah, sold it to Unilever or whoever. And he can just fucking do his, he does music, because he was doing music at the time anyway. do his reggae, yeah. Just doing all his music. Yeah. It's great. He's having a well Happy time. days. I'm not sure. Well, obviously, I'd quite like that. <laughs> but um, so I just thought supermarkets isn't the way because what you need to get it into supermarkets is investment. So you need a lot of machinery to make it in bulk to get it into the supermarket in enough bulk for you to start making actual money. Mm. I can't afford all that equipment. I need fifty thousand pounds to get that. 
all right, I'll get a business loan. And right when it was starting, lots of people were messaging me going, are you looking for partners? You know, people that have got money. You're looking for partners, you're looking for investors. And I just thought, oh, right, just say no to all of it because you don't know what you're doing yeah. yet. <laughs> so just say no to everybody. No, no, no. And they were like, what? what? I'm offering you. I'm not interested. Yeah. Well, you can get a business loan for free from the government for the... I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. You just buy it and I give it you. That's it. That's the way I want to keep it as yeah. simple as I possibly can. Um, and then I looked at... There's a guy called Ribman, Mark, yes. yeah. who um, does really, really well with his. It's really good source. He's got a good brand. It's solid. It's him. The whole thing is him from beginning to end. He came up with it. He started it. He was making it in his kitchen, blah, blah, blah. He got to a point where he could start buying some semi-automated equipment. He got to the point where he could buy a bit of land and build a just industri- small industrial unit. And now it's made in there. And he's in there some days making it. And the other days he's employing people to make it. And he does all right. He makes a decent living out of it. And I just looked at I remember looking at him and going... And also I remember a quote from somebody from years ago, which was, if you want to do something, find the person who's doing it, how you'd like to do it and just copy them. Yeah. That's don't, the model. Don't copy them, copy them. No. But just if you take every step that they took, it's really likely that the same thing will happen to you. So I just looked at Mark and thought, I'll just do those. I'll try and find out a bit about without seeming like a weird stalker yeah. or messaging him or anything like that. I'll just read up a bit and go back through his Twitter from years ago and try and find out where he... And he was the same thing. Take no loans, take no whatever. Get to a point where you've got... He did a Kickstarter. Right. To get some money, to get some semi-automated equipment. And I'll probably, reluctantly, because my anxiety will go through the fucking roof. (laughs) (laughs) If we do a Kickstarter. Because I'll be like, right, I'm trying to raise £20,000 so that I can get this so that when you order it, it turns up the next day. Right. That's that's the ideal, mm. that's the ideal, well, that's modern life, isn't it? Yeah. You don't wait two weeks for something like you do with this. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, but that's really scary. That's filling me full of dread, really, because I just think, well, then now I owe, now I owe everybody 20,000. <laughs> but you're still, but you know, you're still, you're a one-man band. You're yeah. still one band, and you're still doing it from your kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's expanded. Yeah, so I'm still, you know, I've had, I bought new equipment, so I've mm. got some semi-automated equipment now. Luckily, I've got a biggish kitchen. New, you know, replace the oven, replace the whatever, da 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 So it's a decent space to work in, and I'm at home, so the dogs are kicking about, you know, obviously not in the kitchen. Um, but, you know, I can go and answer the door when a delivery comes or whatever. Sure. I've got a unit, a lock-up unit, where I'm keeping, buying in bulk to save money, keeping stuff, but... Um, yeah, so that's so that's kind of where we are. So it, so it worked. It worked. It worked. The the idea worked well, out out of nowhere. Well, I think you you saying it worked is one thing, but I've never tasted it. Well, so I think I need to invite producer Griff over to the dining room table, and I'm going to get. Is, some, is uh, Griff going to try it as well? Uh, Griff will try it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's get them. Let's get them lined up. See what we'll do. These are the lads, aren't they? These are the lads, yeah. That's, I've been tucking into that one already. That's actually this morning's uh, batch that might still be warm. We start with the, we're going to okay. start with the original, shall we? Yeah. What we've been just, talking about. Jesus Christ. Is that, do you think that's, is that too much? No, that's fine. Yeah, so, that's this, so we start with this. We start with this one here. So that is... Let's dosh a bit of that on there. 
Whoa, Ooh, crikey. Well, that's all right, because it's barbecue. So there we go. Right, so we'll start. Right. Where are we starting now? <laughs> start so with the barbecue. A... Start with the barbecue. Start with the barbecue. So that's black garlic barbecue. So that is, um, there's no heat in it. That's lovely. Okay, delicious. Mm. Very smoky, deep black garlic flavour. Someone mm. got me some uh, black garlic ketchup at the weekend. Oh, okay. Delicious yeah. stuff, yeah. So the black garlic I'm fermenting for this, I'm fermenting at home in black garlic fermenters, which are machines. It's like a slow cooker, really. But I've got a load of them there. <laughs> My kitchen looks like a mad professor's, you know, got all these things beeping and flashing. Mm. It takes about three weeks to make a batch. You just put all the full heads of garlic in, in foil, cover the whole thing in. It's about three weeks, and then you get that sticky kind of clove of garlic, which has got a taste of, doesn't taste like garlic at all, really. It's mm. more like um like a balsamic vinegary sort of taste. Nice. And a, a bit of licorice sort of taste in there a little bit as well. So that's what gives it that. And then it's got smoked paprika in it. And the big smokiness is from natural liquid hickory smoke, which is really hard to get hold of. Most barbecue sauces are smoky and you get that taste, but it, it's it's that fake kind of smoke. You know, it's it's just, it's fake kind of yeah. infused liquid of, of, of smoke. Whereas this is... You know the, the sort of the juice that comes off when the hickory's sort of at a certain point, and then that's then concentrated massively into small amounts. So a little goes a long way. So that's that smoky garlicky, and I, that's the most recent sauce I've done. That's really tasty. It's got a lovely depth of flavour. Yeah, and it took it took me a long time to get that right I was because say a lot of trial and error going on. Yeah, and luckily I had an Australian neighbour who was who was the two brilliant things about Australian men are they barbecue a lot just a bit of a cliche, um, and they fucking tell you what they think, you know. So I gave him some and was like, yeah, I'll try that. And he's like, it's too much orange in it, mate. I was like, right, okay. I mean, it's all right, but there's too much orange in it. And I was like, this okay. Good feedback. Yeah, and he's like, I could see his wife going, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, honestly, that's what I want. Yeah. Back in the kitchen, blah, 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 back to him. Try the what, now what, you know. So that's, that was handy. So that was basically for people who... Don't like heat at all, really, but wanted to get into buying some of the stuff. And, and I'd get messages from people giving, you know, I don't like spicy food. I can't, my stomach doesn't handle it. I can't handle it. Are you thinking of, and I was like, it's coming. I'm going to do a barbecue sauce because they all taste the fucking same. So I'm going to try and... And it doesn't have that synthetic quality that, no. that a lot of barbecue sauces have. No, no. And again, because it's just all natural yeah. shit. And it's that thing of... If if you read a label, I mean, I'm terrible because my diet's awful, which is why I'm overweight, but that's a whole other fucking thing. That's, that's another podcast. It really is. <laughs> but I always think, if you look at a label or something and and you don't want, you, and, and, you have, and you have to sort of break down a word, you know, where you're like, Xantha, Xantha, then you shouldn't be eating it. Mm. And I thought, well, I don't know where you get those things from anyway. <laughs> 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 but I know where you get apple juice from and I know where you get... Uh, ancho peppers from and I know where you get whatever so it was trial and error particularly with the barbecue because all the others rely on heat to some degree mm. that doesn't matter to rely on everything else well let's go in with the original so we'll now. go in with the original which Try this. which is still quite hot but there you go yeah that's oh yeah that's a nut it's coming through my nose now that's nice it's a builder isn't it yeah so how many different chilies do you put in there that's got two only two that's got cayenne which are the long ones. Yeah. Don't really have any heat in those at all. They're for flavour. They will give it a slight bit of freshness. And then um, 
bird's eye chilies, you know, the little, yeah, yeah, the course. little red ones. Yeah. Um, which is what they use in a Nando's, in a Piri Piri, you know, yeah. which is why it's got a slight Piri Piri sort of flavour. But a Piri Piri usually is just bird's eye peppers, vinegar, not much else going on. That's got roasted onions and roasted garlic in it. Mm. Um, so it's just, so some days I'm just chopping onions and garlic all day and it's trays and trays of that that go in the oven and cook for half an hour. There's a lovely back end of roastiness to that. Yeah. Really nice. And that's what I wanted. I wanted it to be, yeah, I just thought I want, I want it to be Moorish. I want it to be flavoursome. I want it to be hot, but not daft hot. Yeah. So you could bang that on. If you were doing eggs for breakfast, it's great with breakfasty stuff, that. Um, no, if it's just going to blow your socks off, there's no taste, there's no flavour. Yeah. Oh, it's like those jokey uh, hot sauces we were talking about before. That yeah. You, you find, you know. Yeah, and end. I'm like, I, I'm get, I, I'll get as close as I can to that amount of heat, but the minute there's no other flavour than heat, I'm out, you know. Well, let's see, you've got an extra hot there. Let's All right, so extra hot. There. So we'll go... Yeah, all right. Let's should go. we try extra hot? That's first? what we yeah. should go next. Let's yeah. So let's get that. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to do this on the podcast every week, but also we're going to do this on the podcast. Every, <laughs> week. every time people are coming in, and I've got some chefs coming on, I'm going to make sure that they cook food. I'm going to eat food live on the podcast. <laughs> Oops! Oh, shit. Yeah, that's a good way of getting your dinner as well. Right. Okay. Is this hot sauce on the cracker, the tried and tested chili tasters, chili sauce tasters way of tasting things. Hot sauce on the cracker. Yeah, yeah I think I think that's the the tried and tested way. Yeah, you might have a chicken wing or a... yeah, but it's just quite, it's quite a neutral base, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's a good way Especially of doing it. A water biscuit like this. Water biscuit's the best. Right, I don't know why, gonna... you know, when you get them selection boxes of crackers. Bin them all. Just you only want them, don't you? Now this is for, you've gone for quite a big for one, the though, Craig. People listening at home, <laughs> Elliot did pour quite a lot on yeah. this water biscuit that I'm about to consume, and I'm just going to go in. All right, yeah. So this has a slightly different flavour. It doesn't have the roastiness. This is made with fried onions instead of roasted onions. Are you still keep it? Is it still the same chilies that you use? For no, this no. Is, these are Naga chilies. These are Naga chilies. Yeah. Right. Okay, I know them. They're quite hot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So Whisk we'll go me into up. that. So straight away you get fried onions. Mm. Mm-hmm. Slower build than the last one. Oh. Oh. And yeah, then that. that funny heat is Naga. That's mm. a really unusual. Wow. Flavor. Yeah. Seems like it's happening in a different part of your mouth. To the yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's not coming through my nose this time. It's more... It's in your mouth, yeah. at the back of my throat, but... Oh, wow, that is a build. Yeah, so that's... that's a lot that of is, Yeah. That's, <laughs> but you've still got the flavour in there. That's... Naga uh, peppers were used in... Um, the Indian... Uh, um, when, when they were having civil war in India. Um, and Sri Lanka as well, actually. They used nagas as a weapon, so they would they would it's like pepper spray really. Mm. So they would they would dry nagas. There you go. The heat sticks fucking lingers around a bit, yeah, doesn't it? It really does. Oh. The uh, even I'm struggling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, did, you, I think at the most I was you know, Griff's, oh, Griff's doing all right. Isn't he? He's doing all right. Yeah, doing better than me. Bearing in mind, yeah. So they they dry it, grind it down, and then fire it at each other. Jesus. <laughs> And what's what's this one? What's this last one? Talk me through the pineapple ghost. So I wanted to make a um, a sort of they have a good uh, tradition in the Bahamas of making a certain type of sauce, and I wanted to make a try and make a bajan kind of sauce. But they make it better. They're slightly runnier though. They make it better than me, and you know 
I don't want to be the cultural appropriation guy steaming into the badge and source game when I can buy Aunt Jemima's and it's fucking amazing. Yeah. So I thought I'll have a, I'll have a take on that, you know. So and I wanted to do something with fruit, a sweet sauce because they're all savoury. So still still lingering, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I was like, right, I'll do a pineapple. I'll just pick randomly picked a fruit to use because you can use all sorts of different fruit with them. But I thought a pineapple will be good. It's pretty versatile. It'll go well with the heat. And I know that pineapple will go well with brown sugar. And I know... So I'm all right with flavor. You know, I'm quite good with flavor. I know what goes with what. So I'm thinking, right. So this is fresh thyme, toasted pineapple, brown sugar, um, and ghost peppers. Right. So they're a level up from the naga. So it's yeah. going to be, a, it's gonna be a, a bit hotter. But very sweet and then very hot. Wow. Mm. That's such a different flavour than the rest, isn't it? Mm. I think we might have killed the heat off that with the last one. It's around about the same heat-wise yeah. as the extra hot. Possibly a tiny bit hotter. Um, but it's got that sweetness, it's got that fruitiness. So what I, I make a, a brown sugar, soft brown sugar syrup solution, which I put fresh thyme in. So I infuse the sugar syrup with fresh thyme. So I put a ton of that in there and it's all bubbling away. Till it almost almost kind of syrupy, you know. And then I use that just with clear vinegar, toasted pineapple that's uh, just fresh pineapple that's cored, chopped, layered in the oven, toasted with some brown sugar on. So you get a little toasty flavour in there as well. A bit of ginger, mm. fresh lime. Don't be giving all your secrets away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep your powder dry. <laughs> You can, I can't even read that, I've got the wrong glasses on. Uh, but it's pretty simple. That's pretty simple. Uh, that's, that's, that, that's the most fun to make because I'm, I'm surrounded in a kitchen surrounded by pineapples. In, in what situation is being surrounded by pineapples not fun? That sounds like a beautiful thing. I mean, unless you're a pineapple farmer being paid one pound a fucking day. That's probably... Somebody, sick of them. Somebody said to me... With that, somebody said uh, a couple of really funny comments. One was, the sauce looks like it's going well. Do you have a recipe? I was like, what What do you mean do you have a, have a recipe? Have you got a recipe? I was like, what, do you want me to give you the recipe? No, no, do you use a recipe? And I was like, I don't want to take the piss out of this guy and go, no, I just put different shit in every day and I hope it works out the same. I'm like, yeah, I have a recipe. Oh, right, like, so you make it the same every time. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he, he's a man who lives off just eat. <laughs> and uh, the other one was, um, uh, I got an email from somebody saying, um, are your pineapples British grown? Or are they imported? And I replied, jokingly, no, I get them from Scotland. <laughs> Bit of a distance, but, you know, worth it in the long run. And then she sent a thing back, going, you're sort of laughing about it. And I said, they don't grow in this country. I'm taking the mickey. They don't. I sent her a BBC uh, uh, news story from a, uh, a Cornish farmer who managed to grow the first UK-grown pineapple, which sold for uh, £12,000. I was like, I can't quite afford to buy, <laughs> so buy those. <laughs> so they come from Costa Rica like every other pineapple that you've ever eaten. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, I mean, Delicious. When oh, I started good. out at the beginning of our conversation, I was asking you, how did we end up at Hot Sauce? Yeah. And now we know. Elliot Eastwick, thank you so much. What an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I've had such a nice time. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. Ace, right, there you go. My mouth's on fire. Oh, man. <laughs> Woo! 
episode is done. I mean, I said to Griff, I said, I was hoping it was going to be a lovely rally for conversation. And it really, really was. Um, I love it when I'm right. I love it when my gut is correct. And I can't thank Elliot enough for coming round to my house to record the podcast. What an absolute joy. I really hope you enjoyed it. Um, look, maybe you're thinking of changing careers. Maybe you want to go into something else. Then maybe now's the time. Maybe you should stop thinking about it and just do it. Um, and do something that is fun and that you love. And maybe it doesn't seem like a job that maybe seems like a bit of a risk. I'm not, ta- I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying maybe it's something to think about. And if it isn't, I really hope you enjoyed the episode. And I really hope you enjoyed Elliot and myself having a good old talk. Um, you can follow Elliot Eastwick. He is on all the social medias. He's across them all. Um, do take a look at his hot, hot sauce. Do take a look at his hot sauce. Look, this is not an advert. I'm just saying it's not sponsored. It's very tasty stuff. Um, and he's a good guy. So um, what more do I have to say? Not a lot, I don't think. But I do have to say thank you so much for downloading and subscribing and telling people. Word of mouth is key, as well you know. Um, And you know where we are. We're on Twitter, we're on social media, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. And if you want to drop us a line there, you can. You can also send us an email. I know the address. Do you know it? I'll tell you now. It's twoshotpod at gmail.com. Um, we love hearing from you. Uh, and yeah, do us a favour. Go tell five of your friends about the Two Shot Podcast. There's over 150 episodes to dive into. If you're liking food, may I draw your attention to the episode with Mr. Gary Usher, which is a no-holds-barred conversation. Um, yeah, dive into that if you want. It's a belter. And that's it. That is it. That's all for now. And we shall see you next week. So until then, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Take care of yourself. See you next week. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs>